0: So we're in James chapter 3 tonight, and we are talking about the tongue. So we're going to read, I'll read the passage for us, and then I'm going to tonight just kind of do an expositional bit of a verse-by-verse teaching through these 12 verses that deal with the tongue. So if you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing my brothers these things ought not to be so does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water can a fig tree my brothers bear olives or a grapevine produce figs neither can a salt pond yield fresh water this is god's word now let me make sure i can share my screen real quick i have some uh, slides for you I'm pulling a Thomas Davis tonight. There we are. Can you all see that? Yes, okay, good, very good. All right, so we're going to begin by looking at just kind of chunk by chunk. We're gonna look at the first two verses. Not many of you should become teachers for teachers will be judged with greater strictness. Now, I just wanna notice a couple things here. I uh, will spend less time in this section and then the later sections. Teachers, teachers of the Bible, particularly in a church context, are judged according to their words. They're judged with a, a greater strictness, and we all probably know that. I mean, teachers primarily talk; it's it's what we do. So, of course, our the words that we say are, are really important. But I just want to draw this out. This is really important that. Teaching in a church is more about responsibility than it is a privilege of status. And so I just want to say quickly that your ministers need your prayers more than they need your admiration. Now, I think you already know that, but it's a good reminder. I think the Lord wants us tonight to remember our teachers in prayer. I think that's that's very important and not just of course our preachers although i cover your prayers too um but you know if you're plugged into saint columbus you're in a city group most likely your city group has one two maybe three teachers who teach occasionally if you're joining the abide studies you're gonna have you know four five or even six different teachers next month in the next two months they all need your prayer You know, the women who teach it at Women of the Word, in all these different contexts, we need to be lifting up our teachers with prayer because it's a serious business. It's a very serious business. But notice also that James doesn't restrict this passage to teachers. He's not just talking about teachers, the Bible. You know, those of us who don't teach don't have permission to check out at this point. He actually follows that up by saying, you know, we all stumble with what we say. We, we all stumble with the tongue. So it is important for teachers, but it's, it's important for all of us as well. So James goes right into introducing the topic at hand. He's talking about the tongue. He's talking about the words that we say. And he teaches us that if you can master the tongue, you can master your whole self. Now he says that the one who can control the tongue is a perfect man and remember from our conversation about james chapter one i think it was our first engine room on james um when james talks about perfection he's not talking about sinlessness he's talking about maturity he's talking about growing into the sort of person god intends for you to be and james one shows us that, you know, he talks about perfection or maturity there. And, and actually, the whole letter of James is deeply concerned all throughout the whole thing with wisdom and maturity. It's a letter about Christian maturity. So that's, that's kind of the first gleaming we get from that section is that mastery of the tongue is a mark of Christian maturity. Now let's look at the next section, verses 3 through 5a, the first half of of verse 5. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds, but they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So James is using here two images to illustrate how something so small can have such a great impact. The tongue is small, but it has great potential. The, the bridle, of it, just the bit that goes in a horse's mouth is a small little piece only about that long, but you can steer this huge horse with it. You know, a ship's rudder is tiny in comparison to the, the size of the ship. You get the idea. But there's a danger with these illustrations um, in, in an uncareful, maybe a hasty reading could set us off in a bit of of the wrong direction. Um, You know, James, as I think we talk about this a lot, James is wisdom literature, which means it's literature meant for careful study and long reflection. You know, you read James and then you you brew a cup of tea and you, you you have a sit and think, or you go for a walk and you just chew on it. You think it over. So let's reflect on this together it's easy to think that James is saying that the whole horse is controlled by means of the bit or that the ship is controlled by means of the rudder. Now, of course, in in actuality, that's true, but that's not the image he's drawing out because if it were, the inference would be that the whole Christian is controlled by means of harnessing their tongue. But that's clearly not the case. If you can get a hold of your tongue and control your tongue that is not the sum total of christian maturity right if, if you can master your tongue that doesn't mean that therefore your work is done james chapter one makes this clear when he says that maturity or perfection is is achieved by letting steadfastness have its full effect when we're in trials so of course they can't be mutually exclusive Okay, so, so he's not saying that the, the whole Christian is controlled by means of controlling the tongue. What is he saying? Well, we need to read this in light of verse 2. So on the screen, you can see verse 2 there. He says, um, well, there's a very careful word there that, that is able. It's a very important word. He says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. Able also to bridle his whole body. He doesn't say he's a perfect man by bridling his whole body. So I think we can kind of rephrase this and, how, and, and understand these two images of the horse and the ship in this way. If the rider can control the horse's mouth, she can surely control the whole horse. If the pilot can control the rudder, he can surely control the whole ship. If the Christian can control that unruly tongue, they can surely control the whole self. So there's really two gleanings from this section then. If you can master your tongue, you can master the whole self. If you can do that, what can't you do? (laughs) It's that hard. And the small tongue has great potential now let's move to the next section how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire and the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness the tongue is set among our members staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell let's stop there for a moment So with those two illustrations of the horse and the ship, James taught us that though the tongue is small, it has great potential. But now, now he's talking about fire and hell. Now we learn that the, the, the kind of great potential that the small tongue has is this kind of great potential that a spark has in a dry forest. With merely a word, just a rumor, a murmur, we can, we can destroy life. We can watch someone else's world come crashing down because of careless words. Our own world can come crashing down around us because of things that come out of our mouths. It's a world of unrighteousness set on fire by hell. Now, when I was a kid uh, growing up in Washington state, I had a little pellet gun uh, it was it was actually kind of a high powered one, like a handgun and just, you know. Um, and one day I was out shooting trees and branches and stuff in the yard. And uh, I saw this little robin. And North American robins are about twice as big as the robins that are out uh, here in Scotland, but they're, they're beautiful with the orange breast. It's just a lovely bird. And on a whim, I took aim and I shot kind of carelessly actually. And I hit that robin in the neck and it fell over and started flopping around on the ground. And it took a long time to die. And I I really can't, I'm a bit of a softy, I suppose. I'm still kind of haunted by the guilt and the shame that I felt in that moment. It's vivid for me still, you know, 20, 25 years later. um, There was no going back from that moment. That bird was dead or dying There was nothing i could do to undo what i had done and i felt awful about it and like a bird in its last throes of life or like a forest fire raging out of control our tongues can cause damage that is not easily mitigated sometimes there's just no going back from our words Uh, The Westminster Larger Catechism, question 135. Does anyone have that memorized? Thomas? No? Okay. Question 135 asks, what are the duties involved in the sixth commandment? Now the sixth commandment out of the 10 is thou shalt not kill. What are the duties involved? Well, the answer is long and I'm not gonna read it all for you. But one of the surprising duties involved in obeying the command to not kill is that we have mild and courteous speech isn't that interesting the Westminster divines understood that the great potential that the tongue has to destroy they understood that to obey the commandment thou shalt not kill we didn't just have to avoid killing we had to actively seek to give life with our whole bodies including our tongues That we use our tongue to give life, not death. We use our tongue to build up and encourage not to destroy and tear down. We use our tongue to be mild and courteous, not to be brash and to trample people and make them feel small. Now, look at verses 7 and 8. This is the bad news. You thought that was bad. This is the bad news. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of poison, deadly poison. (coughs) Excuse me. That small tongue has great potential. We just learned that from the last section. Now he's telling us the small tongue has great potential for evil the potential inside the tongue is for destruction and there's nothing you can do about that no human being can tame it well where do we go from there so those are our two gleanings the small tongue has great potential for evil and you can't tame tongue now our final section Verses 9 to 12. With our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And by the way, James didn't need to say that part about these things ought not to be so. We, sh- we should all have the clarity of sense to, to see that. It's almost like he couldn't help himself. He's like, this is awful. We We shouldn't be you know, berating our children or our spouses on the morning on the way to church and then lifting up that same voice in praise of God. There's something awful and evil about that. Something double-minded, to use the language of James 1. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Of course, the answer is no. Can a fig tree my brothers bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Again, no. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Okay, so earlier we saw two illustrations followed by a teaching. The horse and the ship followed by his teaching on the tongue. Now we see the teaching followed by three illustrations, okay? so the first illustration is or the the teaching is that from the same mouth come blessing and cursing he's just telling us what we're like this falls under the category of we all stumble with what we say we all do this so no one's getting out here including me that's the teaching from the same mouth come blessing and cursing now the three illustrations one does a spring give forth fresh and salt water fig tree produce olives Um, salt pond give fresh water In other words, James wants us to be thinking about and reflecting on not just the tongue, but the source, the tongue's source. In all his illustrations, this is the case. The the, the horse has a rider, the ship has a pilot, water has a spring, a fig has a tree, and the tongue has a heart. James wants us to understand that the tongue gives expression to what's in the heart. Let's flip that around and think about it from the other perspective. If the tongue gives expression to what's in the heart, then you can know a man or a woman's heart by how they use their tongue. Isn't that a bit terrifying? So I have here, Um, A bottle of hand sanitizer, um, St. Columba's brand. So it's extra holy, you know, it's very purifying, cleansing. Um, Now this is liable to get a little messy. This is you. You are this bottle, okay? Life comes along. This is life, this big grabby hand. And life sometimes just squeezes you, right? Just squeezes you with stress and frustration and anxiety. What comes out? What comes out of the bottle is what's inside the bottle. My hands are very clean now, by the way. (laughs) My apologies to Hamish, who's going to have to clean that mess up later. (laughs) I'm kidding. When life squeezes us, what comes out of our mouths is what's in the heart. That's a good diagnostic. For you to ask yourself in all honesty in your times with your in your times of prayer with the Lord and talking to your spouse, your friends, it's good to reflect on what comes out of your mouth and ask, is that is that the state of my heart? Because a spring cannot pour forth fresh and salt water. All right, I'm gonna stop sharing my screen. Here we are. <laughs> So the real question is now, how do we use our tongues to not destroy? How do we not light the forest fires? How do we not tear down the people around us? Um, You know, we're decades into these bad habits. All of us are. How do we undo it? Well, James doesn't just come out and give you the answer, I'm afraid to say. But if we read this passage in context of the whole letter, because remember, it's just a letter. It's meant to be read kind of at once and understood as a whole then I think the the answer will become fairly clear. James is guiding us toward thinking about the source of the tongue, the thing that controls the tongue, which is the heart. And when he talks about the heart, he always talks about wisdom. For instance, the next two verses. So verse ambition in your hearts do not boast and be false to the truth see wisdom and the heart go hand in hand for james so throughout the the whole letter of james as i said that one of the threads that runs through it all is wisdom and this is really important for james wisdom does not spring out naturally from us We, we aren't just born with this natural wisdom you might have some common sense to you but you don't have godly wisdom innately. Wisdom comes down to us from God. For example, James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. James 1.17. Every good and every perfect gift comes, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. James 3 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, etc. If there is any hope for us to grow in maturity as Christians and to sow seeds of life and peace with our tongues, rather than using our words to light the fires of hell, then we must have hearts full of the wisdom that comes down from God. So let me start to wrap this up with a few points of application, something hopefully a little bit less theoretical and more practical. So uh, just four short things that we can remember for application here, ask, receive, do, and thank. I didn't try to put that in a clever monomic device. If you tried to pronounce it, it would be art, so that doesn't work, but ask, receive, do, and thank, okay? So number one, ask. James 1.5 that I just read is just a marvelous invitation. We never get beyond this in the Christian life. If anyone lacks wisdom, that's me. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Excuse me. When he says that God gives generously without reproach, He means that God's not going to belittle you for asking. So if you come and say, Lord, I can't get my tongue under control. I need help and I need your wisdom. He's not going to say, yeah, you do. It's about time you ask for help. You've really messed this up, haven't you? That is not the heart of God. The heart of God is deeply generous. His impulse is generosity and warmth and kindness. He loves it when we ask him for wisdom. And if that doesn't seem true to you, go read the story of Solomon. He's deeply generous. So we ask. We just ask. Number two, we receive. We just receive the wisdom from above. What I mean is with kind of the empty hands of faith saying, I don't have the wisdom, Lord, but you do. We just, we receive this wisdom by hearing the word. Hearing the word of God, the spirit makes it come alive. We can receive that wisdom. Number three, do. So ask, receive, do. Our theme for this year is be doers of the word and not hearers only. That's our whole theme as a, as a church. If we, if we ask for the wisdom and we hear it in God's word, we see the wisdom there and we do nothing. What use is it? We must then put in practice what we see in the word of God. We must receive and hear and go do it. We need to live out the wisdom that we see, even when it's hard. Ask, receive, do. Number four, thank. If you follow this, if you ask the Lord for wisdom and you receive it and you begin to put it into practice, it's all by his grace. Philippians says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both your willing and your working. In other words, every mark of progress we make in the Christian life, we can look back on where we just came from and say, I'm not there anymore. Praise God. He did something in me. He's so faithful and generous. I can't take credit for that. You can't take credit for your own spiritual growth. That's God's work in you. That's marvelous. So that's, that's how we end that application. We ask, receive, we do, and we thank him for what he's doing in our lives. You know, when we first moved to Scotland, which was almost two years ago now, every day um, we thought so often about the difference in accent and dialect. We all had such different ways of saying things and such different words for all sorts of normal things. Now, of course, obviously, I still don't sound like you. Uh, I probably never will. But when I talk on the phone to my friends in Nashville, I don't sound like them either. As we spent time with you all, our speech began to change. Our, Our imperceptibly, we began accidentally adopting phrases that we never would have said in the States. So a trash can became a rubbish bin. You know, instead of saying, hello, we say, hiya. Instead of saying, come on in, we say, in you come. Instead of saying, thanks, you say, cheers. These are all entirely foreign to the Nashville dialect. But that's what happens when we spend time with people we love. You start to talk like them. Friends, if we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, you will pick up the accent and dialect of the kingdom of heaven. Without Christ, our tongues are set on hell by fire. With Christ, our tongues are doused with the waters of baptism as we're united to Christ by his spirit, and they can be a spring of life. Not just for us, but for those around us too. Amen.